Thank you very much. It's a blessing to be here this morning, and I'm thankful for the opportunity. Uh, I have a little book table back there. I don't mention it on Sunday mornings. I would like to say there's two guys supposedly guarding it, but I think they're shoplifters. I'm a little <laughs> concerned about both of them. I don't, I've never seen them here before in my life. But anyway, I had another thought. The preacher's talking about those podcasts in the future that you can listen to. You know, you know when you've got to drive 45 minutes to a place and then 45 back home, I think I'd get that podcast in the future and I'd just stay home that Wednesday night. Or come over here and help them put the lights up or something. I hope I didn't say anything I shouldn't have said. Right? I was just kidding, just kidding. I want you to look in your book, if you would, to John chapter 8. While you're turning to John chapter 8, I want you to remember this little verse of Scripture found in Proverbs 27 and 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. For though thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Now I want to talk to you today about what a day. What a day. John chapter 8 and verse number 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though we heard them not. So they continued asking him. I, I think this might have been like a, a White House press briefing. <laughs> they just keep accusing, accusing in their questions. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man. I thought about that. He said, did anybody condemn you? She said, no man. You know, that's a good thing if no man would condemn you. If your life could be lived to such a level that no one would have anything negative to say about you. She said, no man. That's a good thing. No man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. You know, if he doesn't condemn you, that's even greater. That's wonderful. There is therefore now no condemnation. Thank God. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. My thoughts were gathered one day at the little phrase in verse number two, early in the morning. Now, how did our principal get to this place? How did she get in this predicament that she finds herself in? I don't want to be 
uh, crude at all, and neither would I be inappropriate. But she was caught, the Bible says, in adultery in the very act. Takes two to tango. But the man's not there. I thought about that. I don't know if this is, uh, this is just my conjecture and my thinking that perhaps this couple were caught by the other man, maybe by her husband. And so he killed the guy. I don't know. I thought about it. If, she, if they had been caught by the other guy's wife, they both would have been dead. Do you know what got her to this place? Her sin. Her sin brought her. And she knew that the consequences of her sin was death. Matter of fact, the consequences of sin is still death. The wages of sin is death. There was no recourse for her. There was no remedy. There was no reversal. However, that same day, someone else was wending his way to the temple from the Mount of Olives early in the morning. And he was sitting there in the temple and he was teaching. And he was the Son of God. He didn't teach like other people, he taught with authority. He shut men's mouths. He was not like the stuttering mumbling of the scribes, nor the boring diatribes of the Pharisees, nor the religious ramblings of the self-righteous priests. For he was God of very God. And the words that he spoke were the words of life. You think about it this morning that God, that God was present in the early morning hours. God is present here now in this place. And here she comes. Her eyes wide with fear. Her clothes disheveled. Her hair a mess. The self-righteous rabble are dragging her in disgrace to her death. Instead, she is confronted by Jesus Christ. For deity and deliverance were soon to dawn in the morning of her life. However, the law demanded that she be killed. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse number 10. For both of them, stoning was the capital punishment of the day. And these rabid religionists they thought they had Jesus Christ cornered. For they said in verse number five, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. Now they hadn't kept a lot of, a lot of the other rules and regulations of Moses, 613 other commandments in the Old Testament. They disobeyed a lot of those. You say, why did they do that? Because they were sinners. And what did they do? Well, they added a whole bunch of other things, oral tradition that made it easy for them not to do anything wrong. They obeyed those and disobeyed the word of God. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. 
but what sayest thou? <laughs> we know what the Bible says, but what do you say? They wanted Jesus to either refute Mosaic law or abridge Roman law. Now I want to say to you this morning, it does not matter. It does not matter anything. Nothing is any higher than God's law. It's what God says that matters. It's above our politicians of our day. It's above our personal uh, preferences. It rises far, the word of God does, above religious dogma that men make up. It is obvious to me this morning, and I think everyone sitting in this room, if you'd be honest, we were all born bad. The Bible says we were conceived in sin. None of us had to take sinning lessons came to us very naturally, about as naturally as breathing. Only Jesus Christ can forgive sin. No one else can. No priest can. No fellow with his collar turned around backwards. No fellow with a long black robe sitting in a phone booth. He can't forgive sin. You say, why can Jesus forgive sin? Because he paid the sin debt that all of us owe. You ever think about this, that there was a Savior before there ever was a sinner? For the Lamb was slain, the Bible says, from the foundation of the world. God provided a Savior before the first sinner ever appeared on this planet. Thank God, thank God. And He can give you a brand new day. Now, if you happen to be sitting in this room this morning and you're not a Christian, this could be the early a.m. This could be the early morning of your life. You could meet Jesus Christ this morning and the great I am could make everything brand new for you. I don't have time to talk about it this morning. My goodness, they got a clock ticking right here. It feels like a fan. It seems to be going around so fast. But there are seven times in this chapter where Jesus refers to himself as the I am. When Jesus Christ says he is the I am, he is saying that he is God. In verse number 12, he said, I am the light. In verse number 16, he said, I am heaven sent. In verse number 18, he said, I am the witness to one. In verse number 23, he said, I am from above. He is the king of eternity. In verse 24, he said, I am the one to believe in. In verse 28, he said, I am the one to be lifted up. In verse 58, he said, I am the eternal one. Amen. I want to say to you this morning that the great I am still is. The great I am is still able to save to the uttermost all those that believe. As the light begins to dawn, Jesus stoops. And the Bible says he begins to write on the ground. I thought about this one time. That same finger one time wrote the law in stone from Sinai's smoky summit. That same finger one day wrote judgment in the plaster on the wall in Belshazzar's palace 
in Babylon. This same finger is now writing forgiveness in the sand, in the dirt, in the temple's classroom where he taught. In verse number eight, it said again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I love this little phrase in verse nine, and they which heard it. Now we've got a pretty good microphone up here. Now I can take this gold pen out of my pocket and I can write on this piece of paper. But you can't hear what I'm writing. But what Jesus wrote on the ground, they heard it. You say, why is that, preacher? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This book speaks. It speaks to sinners with a call to come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. This wonderful book speaks down through the ages of time into the depth of a sinner's soul. The stones began to fall from the hands of men. They were convicted, our book says, in their conscience. And it seemed to loosen their grasp on those missiles of mayhem. And they slunk to the sidelines in shame. And they were gone. So Jesus was able to say to the little woman, where are those thine accusers? Law said you've got to die for what you've done. But Jesus knew, kind of like those podcasts in the future. I don't think I'm ever going to forget that. (laughs) He knew he was going very soon to die in her place. He knew he was going to die for her sins and for your sins and my sins and the sin. The Bible said that he bore our sin in his own body on the cross. You think how awful it must have been just to bear the sins in his body, the spotless, sinless lamb of God, the perfect savior, one who had never sinned one time in all all of eternity, his physical life, his spiritual life. He never sinned. He had never known sin. He wasn't around sin. If he just bore the sins in his body of the sins of the folk in this room, how horrible it would have been. But he bore the sins. There's nearly eight billions of people on this planet right now. He bore them all. He paid the sin debt for every man, woman, boy, and girl that ever existed. I thought about this one day. That God's plan for the ages was to save sinners. Jesus knew why he came. He came willingly. I thought about it. Here he is, a boy. He's working in Joseph's carpenter shop and Joseph said, uh, Jesus, go get a hammer. And Jesus went over and gets a hammer off the workbench and he carries that back. And as he's taking it to Joseph, he looks at it. You know, one of these days, 
Some men are going to take a hammer, help to pinion me to an old rugged cross. Maybe sometimes he held the hammer in his own hand and Joseph had taught him how to do carpenter work and he picks up a nail and he's about to ready affix it to a board to affix it to something else. And he looks at that nail and he said, someday there'll be three nails that'll pierce my body. Maybe they had to go out in the woods someday and cut down some trees themselves. Maybe a thorn tree. And he'd thought about it. There's going to be some thorns one day pierce my brow. He'd hold that timber, be a piece of log one day that I'll hang on. Our precious Savior was born in another's stable and he was buried in a borrowed grave. His first companions were cooing doves and lowing cattle and his last companions were cursing thieves. He was first clothed in grave clothes and that's what he wore when they brought him down from the cross. They wrapped him in that. His first pillow was straw. His last was a stone crypt. His first bed was a manger. His tomb was another's. God's masterpiece is what Jesus Christ was and is as the Savior of the world. I remember a boy one day He got under conviction. You can believe what you want to believe, but I believe with no conviction, there'll be no conversion. I want to say it again. With no conviction, there'll be no conversion. Remember a boy got under conviction about six months. Lasted terrible. I mean, the kind you can't eat, you can't sleep, you're miserable. You got road rage when you're sitting at the dining room table. I mean, you're just in a mess. Mad, upset, nothing satisfied. I remember that boy about 2.30 in the morning knocking on his father's door. Dad was a Baptist preacher. His dad opened the door and looked at his son coming in in the wee hours of the morning. The first thing out of that preacher's mouth was, he said, Tim, you want to get saved, don't you? I said, yes, Dad, more than anything. And somewhere between 2.30 and 3 o'clock in the morning, March the 15th, 1970, I got born again by the Spirit of God. Oh, I made little professions at the altar a time or two in my life. I'd even gotten the baptistry and got wet a couple of times. But baptism doesn't save you. And if you're not saved... There's nothing more than a lousy bath. You're not a Christian. Thank God, thank God. Hey, friend, the sun of your life could be rising this morning for you. This could be an early brand new day for you. There's an old song. We don't sing it much anymore. It has a lyric that goes like this. Lips of mercy like the sweetest chimes. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. In that little verse, you have salvation and sanctification all in less than a half a a sentence. Go and sin no more. It is a wondrous day 
when the truth and the light of the gospel burst into the darkened gloom of, a, of the earthly night of a sin-sick soul. It's great. It's a great day. There's another old song. We don't sing it much anymore. There's a great day coming, a great day coming. There's a great day coming by and by when the saints and the sinners shall be parted right and left. Are you ready for that day to come? You say, Brother Green, I'm only 13 years old. I got a long life ahead of me. You don't know that. I've been to the funerals of teenagers. You say, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in my, the strength of my young adulthood. I'm in my 30s. I got a long time. My dad lived to be 80. I got a 50 years ahead of me. You don't know that. You no guarantee you'll get out of this building alive. You have no guarantee you'll get home this afternoon. You don't know. Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? That old song has a lyric. goes, it's a bright day coming, a bright day coming, a bright day coming by and by. And it started when salvation dawned. There's a bright day coming for those that love the Lord. But there's a sad day coming for sinners when their doom is spoken. I knew you not. There's people in this room, undoubtedly, size of this congregation. You are standing at, on the bridge between two worlds. You're in this world today. You're alive. You're breathing. You have some degree of health. But you're standing on a bridge across a great chasm between another world. There's two other worlds. There's one called heaven and another called hell. You say, how do you get to heaven? You get saved. You get born again. You trust Christ as your Savior. You believe on him to the point that it changes your life. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I must be all right. If it hadn't changed your life, you haven't believed on him enough. You say, how do you get to hell? Just stay like you are. That's right. Don't do a thing. Just live your life, be happy, you know, go through life and, you know, drinking and cussing and living your life the way you want to, doing what you want to do and go where you want to go and act the way you want to act. You'll end up there. God help us this morning. Standing on the bridge between two worlds. That's another sermon. I was preaching a couple of years ago. I think it was in March. And I was in Michigan in a little town called Orion, Orion Michigan. Cold, bitter Sunday morning. And uh, I was in the hotel waiting somebody to drive under that little uh, roof thing out there so I didn't have to get out in that snowstorm and ice and cold. It was a bad day. And I was standing there in the lobby of the hotel waiting, and they had a huge uh, television up there on the wall. And I, you could hardly miss it. I'd stand there looking at it. and They didn't have any sound on. It was some news program. And there was a, a room probably the size of, oh, from that front row and all around this section right here, a room about that size, jam-packed. Looked like about 200, 250 people. I mean, just shoulder to shoulder. There was a little table in the front with four or five guys. 
And uh, they ran the tagline along the bottom because it was in, uh, it was in Malaysia. And I, of course, I couldn't understand what was being said. But they put along the bottom what was being said. And while that, I'm just standing there waiting. And uh, there was a woman up towards the front. She began to scream and cry out and become very agitated. You could see that on the screen. I don't know what they were saying. Along the tagline, she was screaming and crying. She said, where are my son? What you do with my son? Where be my son? Little Polynesian woman about that tall. It was, come to find out, reading the tagline, it was a, a lady whose son was on that Malaysian airline that crashed in the sea and they've never even found, I don't think, one body. And that's been two or three years ago now. She was at that news conference and demanding that someone would tell her, where is my boy? Where is my son? Tell me, where my boy? Where my son? It was, you could almost feel it was palpable. The angst in that mother's heart. Where's my boy? Finally, it became so disruptive, I was shocked. They picked that woman up, men picked her up, and they passed her out of those, that building over the heads of people like you see they do it at football games sometimes to get her out of the room. If I was a mother and I didn't know where my son was, I'd be concerned. As a father, if I didn't know where my child was, I'd be concerned. But that's in this realm. If I was a mother or dad here today, and I didn't know whether or not my son or my daughter was saved, you talk about concern. You talk about a burden that would bear down like a Mount Everest on a person's shoulder is knowing whether or not my child will go to heaven one of these days. Or go to hell. How can we be casual about that? How can we be cavalier? How can we say that's no big deal? It's the biggest deal in the world. Now we're talking about our children. But what about others? What about our neighbor? What about our buddies at work? What about the lady at the beauty parlor? What about the girl at the cash register at the grocery store? What about them? Where will they be one day? God help us. God help us. I was preaching somewhere. They gave me a, a little book. It was right after 9-11. Oh, it's a long time after 9-11. Uh, it was, I don't know, four, seven, eight years ago, or after 9-11. They were giving away these books that didn't sell very well, I guess. And it was about people who had died in the Twin Towers. And one of those books had this story. I've got the young man's name. I won't read it. He was in the Twin Towers. His wife called him on her cell phone. She said, are you okay? He said, yes. He said, what's happened? They kind of shut the place down. She said, a plane's crashed into the Twin Towers much below where he was. He said, oh my. 
And they had some conversation. He said, well, let me call 911. And so he hung up on his wife. He called 911 to get some help. You know, that's interesting, 911 and 911. Isn't that an interesting interposition of numbers? And he was talking, and they had it recorded in that little book. He said, we're young men. He was there with two buddies. He said, we're young men. We're too young to die. And that was the end of it. The towers crashed. I want to say to you this morning that somewhere between the first cry that came from your lips when you were birthed into this world, and your last breath that you breathe in this realm, there needs to come from your lips one day, dear God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save my soul. I repent of my sins. Lord, come into my heart and change my life and make me your child. Somewhere! Between that first cry and that last breath, you need to have talked to God about your eternal destiny. What a day. What a day this, fifth, this seventh day of May could be in 2017 for you if you'd get saved today. Now, I preached here last year, this time of year. I may have given an invitation like this. I, it, this is the kind I like. How many people in this room say, Preacher, one day I came to church as a lost man or a lost woman or a lost boy or a lost girl. And I heard the gospel preached. Somebody warned me. Somebody told me about a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And I walked the aisle and I got born again. Would you raise your hand high like it's here? It's a fast crowd of people. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. I didn't get saved at church. I got saved at the house. House my dad still lives in to this day. I could take you to the little bedroom. They've now turned it into a closet, I think. But I could take you and get you within six inches of where I knelt and got born again that 15th day of March, 1970. I got saved at home. I know other people in this room got saved at work or at home or somewhere. But how many folk in this building this morning would say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I know I'm not saved. But I'd like to get it settled today. Would you raise your hand high that I could see it? Anybody like that in the room? God bless you, little lady. God bless your heart. God bless your heart. Bring her mom. That'd be good. That'd be sweet. Dad, well, precious. How precious. Where my boy? Where my son be? Where my son be? Get out of here, lady. We can't handle you. We'll pass you above our heads and get you out of this room. Where's your son or daughter today? Where's your husband or wife in relationship to Jesus Christ? Where are you? Where are you? If you're not saved today, you ought to get saved. If you're not a Christian, you ought to come and let someone take the Bible, the Word of God, and show you how to be saved. You're just a prayer away. 
You're just a repentance away. You're just a turning away from having the best day of your life be today. If you're not saved, come get saved. Let's stand our feet. Go ahead and sing a verse or two of this.